Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups with my man cave background, just for my special guest today, Brian Clayton. Brian, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Kevin, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. I uh, I mean, I, I watched a couple of interviews. We were chatting just off camera. I watched a couple of interviews this morning that you had done previously, and I thought this was a perfect background for you. So uh, I hope it <laughs> I hope it fits, and I hope the, the motif, you know, puts you at ease. And yeah, I dig jump it. Right I, into it. I actually am. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, so the motif fits. I love absolutely. It. <laughs> absolutely. Got a nice, nice vintage background. So Brian, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Brian Clayton. I am the CEO and co-founder of a company called GreenPal. And so GreenPal is like the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner and you need to get your lawn mowed, rather than calling around on Craigslist or Facebook or Yelp, you can just download our app and somebody will come out and take care of your grass cutting for you. Been at this business for eight years. Uh, we're an eight-year overnight success. Uh, we have around 300,000 people using the app to get their lawn mowed, doing over $20 million a year in revenue. But uh, it didn't start that way. It started out really hard. Uh, the first two or three, four years of building this marketplace were really, really tough. But my co-founders and I just stuck with it. And little by little, we were growing the business. And now we've got a good business under our feet and, and uh, actually starting to get fun. Uh, before Green Power. Starting to get fun. Yeah, it's it. starting to get fun. The first five, six years weren't too, weren't a whole lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a fun business to run now. But uh, before Green Power, I actually had a, a landscaping business that I ran. Uh, I started a lawn mowing service in high school to make extra cash. And uh, stuck with this little lawn mowing business all through high school and college and grew it little by little over a 15-year period of time uh, to one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee where I live. Uh, eventually, the business uh, got to $10 million in revenue, 150 employees, and in 2013, it was acquired. And uh, so then I, I took some time off, kind of retired, and then I took everything I learned from building that business from scratch and plowed it into GreenPal to get that company going and haven't looked back since. So it's, it's really interesting when you, when I interview people and we're talking about their business, how often we're actually talking about a software service as much as we're talking about kind of the, the business itself. So I, I know that you had mentioned on a, another episode that, that you actually took kind of two cracks at this to, to kind of solve the software problem around GreenPile. And there was one that you, you tried to source locally and it didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, boy, you're bringing up bad, uh, painful memories. Uh, yeah, so, never start with the bad things. No, uh, no, it's something that everybody needs to hear. So, so uh, when I built my first business, my landscaping company, it was very much a blue collar business, hand to hand combat in the trenches, laborers, trucks lawnmowers. I had like three mechanics that worked for me in that mm -hmm. company that turned yeah. wrenches. And so that was the type of business I knew. And I thought, well, I did well there. And uh, that was really hard. And it was really difficult running all of, uh, you know, it was 150 problems every day. It was really, really difficult doing that. I don't want to have a, I don't want to do that again. I want to start a, an easy business. I want to start a software company. And boy, <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know. And uh, I didn't know the first thing about how to build software, uh, but I didn't think that would matter. And I thought, okay, well, uh, recruited two co-founders and, and we, we went to work and we thought, okay, well, we can just pay somebody to build what we think this app should be. Because I had the idea for the problem and the solution. I kind of knew how it needed to work. And I, feel, I felt like if I could just explain it to somebody who could build sure. a product. That, that just they go could, build it. Yeah. Just go build it. And we, uh, 
we pulled together our money, my two co-founders and I, and we, we invested $150,000 of our own cash. And this was like liquidated 401ks, credit card checks. We're all in. Yeah. Mom, went all in. And uh, this, this dev agency took like nine months to build GreenPow and we launched it. Uh, and I'm using quotation marks here, launched it. And, uh, and it was a total flop. It was a failure. Um, we couldn't even get like more than 30 people to use it. And wow. we, pa- and, and the first thing we did was we, we passed out door hangers all over Nashville, Tennessee mm-hmm. to try to get the word out to just, just to get a few people to use the damn thing. Uh, because at the time we were reading a book called the startup owner's manual by Steve mm-hmm. blank. And, and one of the main, like lessons of that book is to get out of the building and go talk to customers. Well, we didn't have any customers, so we needed some customers. So we got some and, uh, and we would talk to these people and like, we'd hear the same disappointment over and over again. Like the service provider didn't show up or they didn't know, they didn't, they didn't get any quotes or the person quoted, but they didn't know what they were quoting or mm-hmm. they had reviews or they didn't have reviews or, or they showed up late or they did a crappy job. I mean, just a million problems that can yep. go wrong. And we were like, wow, man, we really didn't know what we didn't know. It's going to take a lot more work on, on this product to get it to where we can deliver a consistent, predictable, and reliable experience. And uh, we were quickly like humbled and, and confronted with the reality that in order to be in the tech business, we're going to have to learn how to build software. There's yeah. just no yeah. way around that. And so my co-founder went to a boot camp in Nashville uh, where I live. A, a, it's called Nashville Software School. It was a seven-month program. I, I learned how to become a front-end engineer. Uh, really terrible one, but just enough to be uh, decent. And that took like two years, but we learned how to build software while we built the, the next version that we could iterate on top of. I I mean, I love the idea of, of you, you talking about. So, I mean, all of us would have that assumption, I think. It would say, okay, we know what the problem is. We even know what we think we know what the, what the solution is. So just go build it. Go build a kind of a, you know, that version online. But I've got to imagine that that when you were thinking about building this, you're thinking, you know what, I, I just need to find 100,000 Brian Clayton's out there because I was reliable. I showed up. I did a good job. I I was trustworthy. I had good reviews. I got good, good referrals, whatever. But finding 100,000, you know, of yourself is is much easier said than done. So what did you, you know, how did you kind of overcome that? that problem of finding good quality, trustworthy, you know, I'm thinking Angie's list here, you know, right. almost a run right. mowing. Right. Yeah. A couple of things there. So, you know, trying to build a software app with, with, with no software experience is kind of like opening a restaurant, a five-star restaurant with no chef. And so we, we learned that, <laughs> lesson that analogy painfully. And, yeah. uh, and so we were learning how to build software and then, and then we're, we're trying to solve the chicken and egg problem of, of getting service providers on the platform and getting homeowners on the platform right. at the same time. And to your point, one thing that really, really, really baffled me, astounded me then and now it's like, it's just really difficult to find reliable service providers in yep. this industry in pretty much every service-based industry. And so like the same problems that homeowners face were now just shifted to us. Mm, and so, yeah, and so right. we were saw, we were trying to figure out like the technological solutions, the software solutions to solve those problems. And here we are eight years later and we're still making it better, cheaper, faster, more reliable, more mm-hmm. predictable. And, and so it's, it's just one of those things that you don't know until you get in there. Steve Blank says that every business plan, no, I'm sorry, no business plan survives first contact with the customer. Yep. And, and so that was what it was for us. Like uh, to your point, I, I genuinely believe that I was like, well, 
you know, I'm, I'm coming to the, to the equation from a contractor mindset, and so I'm thinking, well, you know, competition's fierce, and there's a thousand competitors, and everybody's going after the business. We give them this product. They'll be glad to use it. They'll bid. They'll bid a great price. They'll show up on time. They'll give these people white glove service. None of that happened. Mm. Uh, so we had to, like, figure out the software solutions to make all those things happen. So it looks like to me that you've almost got uh, a – a problem with with supply and demand because you've got if you have you know the top notch you know five stars you know lawn care people out there they probably have more work than they know what to do with already so why would they need to have this service and then you're thinking well the people that actually would need my service maybe they're a three star because you know they only cut a lawn and nobody asks ever asks them back so they are just kind of trying to churn new customers all the time so is there a is there kind of an equilibrium point in those two kind of extremes I described? Yeah. So your company that's running five or six or seven people, you know, they've gave maybe have two crews going out every day. They already have their systems. They do a good, nice job. Um, and, and so they're not the best fit service provider for somebody who just has a $28 lawn mowing and they want it mowed every two weeks. Yeah. So it's like that person, it's like pulling teeth for them to get anybody to take care of them because they only spend like six or $700 a year on their lawn maintenance. Right. That's where our product comes in. Yep. Our product comes in and makes it dead simple for that person to hire the, the person who's only mowing 10 yards, but wants to do 200 and doesn't have a marketing budget, doesn't have a receptionist, doesn't right. have an online presence, doesn't have any kind of reviews. You don't know, like we enable that, that homeowner that just wants a basic level of service to hire that best fit solopreneur right off the shelf. And, and the lawn mowing business is, it's interesting. Like I do a lot of interviews and, and uh, a lot of people say, you know, my first business was a grass cutting service. And so it's like the lawn mowing business is like, like the gateway drug to business ownership because, because it's, it's such low barriers to entry. And, and so, but, but one thing that happens is, it's like, we're not taught in high school or college how to run a small business. You're not taught things like customer service, showing up on time, pricing fairly, uh, making sure that, you know, you, you look presentable, uh, you wear uniforms and that you, you like take pride in, in, in the, in the appearance of, of how your business looks to the customer. Like all of these things were not taught. Right. And, uh, and so it's like, the, the barriers to entry to the lawn mowing business are so low that people who try to hire these folks, it's just always a terrible experience. And so it's our app's job to kind of be like, like lawn care business university mm -hmm. and over time indoctrinate these service providers who have never ran a business into what it means to show up on time, why it's important to follow up, why it's important to be proactive, why it's important to, to fix problems when they arise, why it's important to, to let people know about other services you're offering and like, like be kind of like their, their, their Sherpa or their coach yeah. in their pocket to right. run a successful lawn mowing business. Is this, um, I mean, obviously you I've heard you described as kind of the Uber of lawn care type thing. I mean, it's that that's that's in our vernacular, our business vernacular now. We're the the Uber of you know fill in the blank. But I, I would think this would be applicable to just about any service, you know, um, business out there that that is kind of a repetitive. You know, I, I need I need somebody to come out and do something for me. Um, you know, that type of thing. Maybe even online. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, so the Uber for lawn care is a great way to like, in two seconds, you kind of get what we do. Yeah. But but the analogy breaks down a little bit in terms of Uber treats their drivers like fungible commodities. You really don't care who takes you to the airport. Uh, right. So long as you get there, they don't crash. 
so, but for us, a homeowner hires a service provider. They want the same person to come out every week. You want to okay. develop that relationship. So, so it's it's like our, it's our job to facilitate that match and then make the make the whole thing run smoothly for as long as you live in your home. And so that's kind of where the analogy breaks down a bit. But to your point, we're like in minute one of day one of you know the remote control for your life. Uh, you should be able to push a button and get anything you need done. Yep. We're, we're, we're like in the first inning. You yep. know, you can you can push a button and get Thai food delivered in less than 30 minutes. You can push a button and get a car to pick you up. You can push a button and get your grass cut. Uh, and there's a bunch of other stuff. But like to your point, you can't push a button and have a plumber show up in, in, in 10 minutes or 30 minutes. Yep. Um, and so it's like for us, you know, we're focused on one thing, the lawn care industry, like mm -hmm. making that really easy. But somebody will come along and, and focus on these other verticals. The problem is, is that every, like the plumber, the painter, the uh, pressure washing guy, the pool guy, the lawn care business, they all have a hundred different problems. And so mm -hmm. like there has to be a unique uh, tool set, a unique product for every one of those verticals to deliver that kind of Uber-like yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a great point. I mean, I think the, the basic software platform certainly has applicability, you know, to a multitude of different offerings, but you're exactly right. I mean, the problems that you're solving are unique to each one of those verticals that you right. mentioned. So, and and there's no a, shortage of places to go get names and numbers, right? Yes. You can go to Thumbtack, yeah. Craigslist, Home Advisor, Angie's right. List, Facebook yeah. groups, and you can get names and numbers of people, but you still have to manually poll these people. Yeah. And you still have to, uh, you still have to figure out like their availability. You still have to like uh, figure out what's their pricing and all this stuff. So we kind of help with all that. I mean, because it's software, it looks like that you don't have any geographic limitations, but are there specific areas of the country? I mean, is like, is Nashville like a hot market for you because that's where you passed out your 100,000 flyers? Yeah, so we spent four years just in Nashville figuring out how to make the product reliable, figuring out how to make the product uh, consistent. And, and so like focus in a startup is really one of the only advantages that you have in your control. It's like focusing all of the founders intensity on, mm -hmm. on one small little set of challenges that you're trying to overcome. And so for us, it was like, we just got to get it working in Nashville before we go into other cities. Yep. And that's why we spent so long trying to get it right. It's like nail it, then scale it. Mm -hmm. After we figured out how to do it in Nashville, then we started moving into other markets. We started, uh, we started to figure out, okay, well, this is how we can roll it out to another city. Tampa, Florida was our second market and Atlanta was our third. And, and once we kind of like did the trial and error process and figured out the little repeatable framework that we could do for city by city, we then started to move a lot quicker, but, uh, it's like getting in there, figuring out what works and then learning from your mistakes and, and, and like failing on a small stage mm -hmm. and then, and then go wide. Um, and that was, that was hard, you know, I mean, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm, I just sold a $10 million business and I'm starting this new thing. And we ended our first year with like 12 grand in total revenue. It was, it was very hard. <laughs> we went really slow, but, but we just kind of took our time and, and, and made the experience consistent. Was there a point in time in those first four years that you, that you ever woke up and thought, man, I need to pivot and do something else. So the, the, the notion of the pivot is, is a good one and a bad one. I think, I think it's like all, like a lot of great companies came out of pivots, right? Um, Slack and, and Instagram and maybe transition would be a better word because pivot pivots kind of like you're in the same lane. I'm talking yeah, about like, yeah, pivot is state, like uh, you know what I'm on, I can run a Chick-fil-A. 
you know, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like pivot is like a change in strategy without a change, exactly. without a change in vision. And so, and so for us, for me, like I'm always going to work on my best idea, and and that's just like the default. And luckily, I'm not very creative, I guess. And so it's like my best idea was Uber for lawn mowing, and like was it a decade ago, and it is today. And so it's like by default, no matter how much this sucks. Uh, and no matter how hard it is, I'm just going to be like plowing everything into mm. this one idea. Now that said, I don't recommend you just, you just like keep going no matter what. And if, regardless of, of money progress. down a black hole. Yeah. 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 So you kind of have to celebrate these little wins. And so for us, like our first year, our goal was a hundred transactions in one week and we didn't hit it, but <laughs> we did get 65 or something. And like, we knew, okay, well, if we could just double that next year, maybe, you know, and then double it again four more times then we might have a business. And the next year we hit like 320 and the following year was like 700. And then the next year was like, like, it was like three, 4,000. And then the year after that was 10,000. And it kept, it kept like snowballing. Mm -hmm. So somebody gave me a good advice. It's like, everything is big, start small. Mm -hmm. And I knew if we could just keep doubling or growing that number 50%, that we would eventually have a good business. And, and so I was, we were celebrating these little small wins while like just focusing on two or three things at a time, making it better and better, you know, in business and entrepreneurship, there's a lot of like paradoxes and dichotomies and things that like don't go together that you kind of have to hold in your head. And one is like having this huge grand ambition, uh, like this audacious goal, so you have to like have this huge like thing that you're going after, but you also have to think and act very, very small. Mm. And so it's like think Good small, but have a have a grand, huge, ambitious vision. And so for us, so for us, like we were always thinking and acting small. Like to use American football's analogy, we we always ran the running game. Like it was always two or three yards at a time. We never mm -hmm. took long shots down. Like Vince Lombardi, <laughs> Boom. three I yards mean, in a just, cloud of dust. <laughs> that's it. Like, and then you do that over and over and over again, it begins to add up. And that's, yeah. that's how we built this business. It's uh, it's, it's funny when you talk about the, the act, the, the business that you're in and how that started. I mean, like one out of every three guys in America started mowing lawns when they were a teenager, you know, they, that's how they made money. One out of 10,000 continued to do that as a career, you <laughs> yeah. know, but it's yeah. funny. I know two in Nashville that did that. You're one of them. And the other one is the head groundskeeper for the Titans. Fantastic. So he started in, in, uh, you know, in Missouri where, where I'm from and a friend of his, I mean, he was mowing, he had a service that was mowing, you know, hundred lawns a week, you know, at one time. And he's, uh, he just ended up you know, kind of parlaying that into something else and something else and ended up working with the Royals. And then he went to Carolina and now he's the, he's the groundskeeper there. And then is it the Toyota stadium or Nissan uh, stadium? Nissan, Nissan, Nissan yeah. yeah. Well, they're going to kill me for, for calling it Toyota, but yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, Nissan, yeah. Nissan built middle Tennessee, middle Tennessee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know, sticking with it, sticking with it, with a vision and, and I mean, hot, hard days. Right. Mom like momentum creates luck. And so mm. the lawn mowing business is an easy business to get into. And if you get in there and, and get your first 10, 20, 100 customers 
and 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 get 100k in revenue well then you have options to do other things you don't have to go spend 15 years in the landscaping business like i did um you can do all kinds of other things at least you got started you know i, I get I, I coach entrepreneurs and, and and business owners for free in nashville where i live as a hobby and one thing i always hear is like i oh i can't get started because i don't have capital or i don't have access to capital well it's like okay well well tell me about your business idea well i want to build like this this new concept for a new bowling alley and like, it's going to take $10 million to build it. And I don't have that money. So therefore I can't get started. This is a story I heard about two weeks ago and I thought, okay, that's cool. And yeah, I love the idea. Great. But maybe we spend five years in a smaller business that you can get started mm -hmm. like a, like a construction company or a home right. remodeling business or a pressure washing business or a lawn yep. care business. Let's get five years in that. Make snow and cones you, out of a trailer. <laughs> sell hot dogs. <laughs> I know a guy with three hot dog stands downtown Nashville. He makes like 300 grand a year. Mm. Um, and uh, and let, let's put like 50 or 100K in the bank. Let's get a business plan against that track record. Then you can pitch to investors. Yeah. But the, the thing is like, like few people like want to be seen at the bottom and they, and they let that like stop them from getting started. So, you know, I mean, if you want it bad enough, you'll, you'll go cut grass <laughs> and you'll, you'll figure it out. I mean, just a perfect analogy. I had a guy come to the house the other day to do some electrical work for me. And I said, you know, hey, what's your what's your background? How'd you get into this? He said, actually, he said, my degree's in English. He said, oh, he said, I was great. headed to be like an English professor. And he said, I thought, why in the world would I do that and make a third of what I can make, you know, just fixing, you know, wiring problems on houses? And, and he said, I've got more work than I know what to do with and yep. turning stuff down and I can set my own schedule. And I, I enjoy what I'm doing. And, and, I and it's, and it's, not, it's not like a win-lose. It's a win-win. He's winning. His customers no winning. About it. If he has helpers, they're winning. His suppliers are winning. Yep. Everybody's winning. Like you look at the, 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 any prosperous town or city, small business is winning. And like, that's just awesome, man. Like I went through the same thing when I went to the college for business, I was, I had to make a decision. Was I going to go, was I going to stick with this lawn mowing business yeah. and take a, or go in the job market and take a pay cut? <laughs> take a huge, that's right. I didn't, like, I didn't really want to be a lawn And then guy somebody else life. tell you what to do all day. Yeah. So luckily <laughs> it worked out for me. I wouldn't have mounted to much had I not gone the business route. So it worked yeah, out for Absolutely. Me. I mean, you, it sounds like to me that you were kind of wired as an entrepreneur anyway. From, day from one. Yeah. Now. I learned really early and at a young age that, you know, I didn't have to have my parents for money if i just went out and mowed yards in the neighborhood and i, I man i've never looked back since thank god my dad forced me to go mow the, my neighbor's yard on a hot summer day because there's no yep. telling what would how my life would have been different <laughs> i mean it, hey small beginnings right yep small beginnings exactly <laughs> so what what are some lessons that that you think you've learned in the last say 10 years or so you know running this or eight years or however long it's been that that this is green power green power started what year again uh, 2013. So 2000, we're talking probably eight year, eight year run here. So what are some real other, other than we'll, we'll ignore the software issue that happened early, but what are some other things that, that were, you know, are really tangible lessons that you can kind of pull out and you'd say, you know, this really would apply to about any business, but, but yeah. specifically these are lessons I learned. Really tactical, uh, that, lessons that I learned were uh, read the book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, and then yep. follow everything that book says. And one thing is like day one, create an org chart for your business. So let's just say you got a hot dog stand. Mm 
and it's like it's just me so i don't need an org chart well hold on like if you want to have 10 hot dog stands one day let's let's go through this exercise so so let's let's create an org chart so there's there's chief hot dog uh, chef uh there is the guy that is doing the bookkeeping there's chief marketer there's chief of uh supply uh, uh acquisition uh there's chief of maintenance for the stand like the wheels got to be grease and you know the water's got to be changed there is a chief of uh r d like how do i make the best damn hot dog on broadway mm-hmm. um there there is a chief of customer satisfaction maybe we we get email addresses and and uh, give coupons out and see if people like our hot dogs there's all these different roles and i that's i just named 12 and there's probably like 30 yeah and like it's going to be your name on all of these roles uh day one just bought the hot dog stand but as time goes on you can peel your name off some of these roles. So maybe the first one is you want to go have two hot dog stands, so now you need to hire another technician. Well, it's not just as easy as hiring another technician. You need a training process. You need a a, a standards manual. You need uh, a procedure. You need like a a, a way to follow up and make sure that they're doing a good job. So it's like just that one little thing forces you to go through the exercise of creating these processes to hire that one person. And so going through the exercise of proactively creating this org chart uh, makes it to where you can then proactively build out a business because there's a big thing that people don't really understand. There's a gap between owning a business and being self-employed. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people don't really know the difference until it's too late. And so you want to create a business day one. Let's, 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 let's set this thing up to scale. And that's how you do it. The second thing I, I learned is when you're building out this org chart and you're like, well, you know, I'm just running a hot dog stand here. I did 50 grand in revenue total last year. I can't afford a, a full-time marketer. Uh, that's cool. But still, these days, you can hire a marketer for an hour a month. Mm. It's okay. Like, fractionally hire the best person, like the best uh, CPA, the best legal person, the best marketing person, the best uh, person to maybe help you think through some of the recipes and hire them for an hourly basis for what you can afford on a weekly or monthly basis rather than waiting until you can afford them full time. And so those two things of like going through the exercise of how am I going to build out this organization from one to 10 to 100 people over a 10 year period of time and then and then slowly ease into putting different names on these roles uh, through a fractional basis is, 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 is what I have learned in the last 10 years of business. I mean, that, that is such great advice. I mean, and you know, the whole basic premise of the email talk is about working on your business instead of in it, because if you continue to work in it, you're, you're actually just an employee of 10,000 bosses you know, That's right. there for sure. But, and you got, you got, you got 20 people doing the same thing. Nobody knows who's responsible for what. Yeah. Uh, and it's just organized chaos every day. And then you look at the bank account and then, you know, you can't make payroll. So you started this with, with two other two other owners or two other partners um, initially. So how did you kind of divvy up the, the roles and decide who's going to do what? And, and has, how has that worked? Cause you know, you've, you've heard horror stories about, you know, partners thinking, well, actually I'm, I'm getting doing 70% of the work and they're only doing 30% of the work. And then we're splitting this 50, 50 and it doesn't seem fair. And how do we fix this? And what, yeah, the you know, co-founder dynamics that? are, are, you know, there's a few things that kill most, software startups it's it's screwing up the co-founder thing uh not thinking through marketing and uh you know lack of sales and and as and building a product nobody wants that's usually what kills startups and so the co-founder thing is like i see people they have an idea 
and they want to start a business or start a startup and their first inclination is, oh, I need to rush out and go get a co-founder. And like my, th- my, my advice is like, really think through that, try to go it alone first. Mm-hmm. And then if you find like your soulmate for a co-founder, then, then get married. But you really have to think about the co-founder relationship in the context of a marriage. Cause that's more like what it's going to be. Um, because if, the, if yeah. the business is successful or even if it's not successful, you're going to be spending more time with this person uh, than you do your actual spouse. Uh, you're going to be six, seven Three. days a week, 10, yeah. 10, 10, 13 hours a day for the first three to five years. And you're going to have to go to go through hell with this person. So don't start mm-hmm. a business that you can't see yourself going through hell with, because it's not going to be good. Like just, just assume that it's going to be difficult and it's going, you're going to have to go to he- go through hell with them. Um, and the third thing is, 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 is like Paul Graham says, you need to find, if you're starting a software business, a hacker and a hustler. And, and uh, that's, that's ideal. Somebody who can drive the business forward and somebody who can execute the, the, the technology side of it. But that's really, really hard to find those, those two di- dynamics of people, particularly like if you're in a place like I am, Nashville, Tennessee, we're not really a hotbed for software entrepreneurs. Not yet. Yeah, not <laughs> yet. That maybe, way. That's right. Yeah, yeah, you know, give us a little bit, but, but, uh, but yeah. So it's, uh, so for me, you know, I got extremely lucky so I don't want to like just espouse the advice of, yeah, go get two co-founders and go to mm-hmm. work because I got really, really lucky. I found two people. What I was optimizing for was I, I was looking for people who just had a chip on their shoulder. They wanted to do something great with their life. They wanted to create a breakout product. They were pissed off at the status quo of mm-hmm. what their, where their life was. They didn't, they both of them were working at Dell computer. They hated cubicle life. Uh, <laughs> and so they just wanted to do something different and they were willing to do whatever it took to be successful. That was it. And I could trust them. Yeah. So I was like, if I have all that, uh, then we can figure out everything else. So it worked out for me, but it doesn't always work out that way. So my advice is like, give pause, like really think through, uh, the co-founder relationship, maybe date for a while, maybe mm-hmm. pay them as a contractor. If they really want to That's co-found advice, the business yeah. with you, they will earn their way in. And, uh, and then, and then make it official. Like re- that's, that's my advice because, cause you're right. A lot of times there's animosity. You're not p- picking up mm-hmm. your fair share or I don't really want to work this hard. Or I thought you said it was going to be two years. Yeah. Uh, we're two years in and we haven't made any money. What's going on. Uh, and then they leave and then you got all this dead equity. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's my advice. So how do you, how have you seen uh, COVID affect your service? I mean, is it, I mean, people still need their, their lawns mowed. It's an outside, you know, kind of service. So have you seen any impact from COVID? So when COVID set in, I guess about a year ago, we were, we were scared because we thought, oh, shoot, everybody's going to be broke. Everybody's going to try to cut their own grass or, mm. or they're home they're, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. They're home anyway. And what we actually saw was, a, was like a 20 or 30% increase beyond what we believe we were going to do that year for a couple of reasons. Um, like Uber Eats, DoorDash, Postmates, Instacart, Amazon Prime, all of these like interfaces like to get things done in the real world had banner years. And so yeah. we kind of rode that tailwind in terms mm-hmm. of like of, of accelerating the adoption of, of people using an app to do things in their, in their day-to-day lives. Yeah. Because to this day, our biggest competitor is the status quo. Um, you know, we're 10 times easier, cheaper, faster, more convenient uh, to get your grass cut than any other way in the, in the world if you live in the United States. And, and so 
But people still do it the old way. You know, they still, you know, just like people still, you know, go grocery shopping and like schlep through the aisles. And when, you know, for another 10 bucks, somebody would do that for you. And so like the adoption of these types of services, these types of apps accelerated tremendously in 2020. And that, and that helped us actually. So we got lucky, you know, it wasn't anything that we did particularly, like we just got flat out lucky. There were, there are so many, I, I told you before we hit the, hit the big red record button that I've got about a million questions that I could ask you, but you know, you mentioned something in, in, a, in another interview about, um, you know, there were, there are other companies that kind of copycats that have tried to replicate this. And you mentioned that, that one of the big problems that they had was that they tried to take too big a chunk of the, of the revenue or the rev share on, on the, you know, the transaction. And you guys are really focused on keeping that, you know, pretty lean and mean and let's let's work more on the quantity versus you know the 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 percentage but i can see that i mean so the transaction is that set by the supplier or in in your platform like you know joe's service is a hundred bucks bill's service and you know lucy's service is 50 bucks and this is 60 and i just pick it by that and then it, it doesn't even increase the price it's just kind of a transactional fee on the on the really on the supplier, right? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. So when you're starting a marketplace like this, you know, like Uber is marketplace assigned, which yep. means here, you know, the, we're, we're assigning you the driver, we're telling you how much it's going to be, we're telling you when they're going to be there. In fact, I don't know how they got around uh, skirting the employee relationship, yeah. because in my in my opinion, they're really employees of Uber. Mm-hmm. That's their driver. But, you know, great, good for them. They had really good lawyers. But that's marketplace assigned. And then you got Airbnb, which is marketplace assist. It's like, I want to go uh, on a vacation to Miami. Let me look at all the inventory. I got condos. I got houses. This has a pool. This doesn't. This is 300 a night. This is 80 a night. This has five stars. Mm. That's got two stars. And like all of this rich data about the inventory around your buying decision that doesn't exist anywhere else and all of these buying options that don't exist anywhere else, that's what makes Airbnb great. And our marketplace is more like an Airbnb in terms of yeah. when you come on, uh, you list your lawn. Okay, I need, I want it mowed every two weeks. Uh, address, email, we take care of everything else. And then we surface to the service provider. Okay, this is how many square feet it is. This is their service expectation level. This is how long it's been since they last mowed their yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have three other customers on this street. Uh, the average winning price is 38 bucks in this zip code. Your, your win rate is like 14% in this zip code. So you figure out what you want to price. Yep. And, uh, and then, and, and then the homeowner gets back all of these, this rich options, kind of like Airbnb. Okay. Well, I've got five quotes here. They range from $28 to $43 and here's the ratings. And, and actually here's how often these service providers show up on the day they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And another piece of data is how often they get booked for a second mowing. And so like we surface all of this data to the homeowner to be able to hire who they want to work with and the price and quality level they, they, they expect and uh, let them do that much, much quicker and easier than they normally could. So that's what we're in the business of doing. And then we take a small transactional fee right. out of that, that we, we, we uh, coach entrepreneur, uh, uh, service providers to add on to their, to their price. So it, in effect, it doesn't really cost them anything if they, if they add it on when, in, 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 into their quote. And if, if it's a volume play, if, if I'm trying to build my business and I, you know, I have 10 lawns and I want to go to 50, 
I mean, I, I'll gladly pay you the five percent to be on your marketplace to to advertise for me and and to, you know bring me clients for sure. It's like a finder's fee. That's right. Know, we, almost. We, we charge a sliding rate based on how much volume they're doing through the platform, and then and if they want, we have several service providers that run their entire business. We have uh, roughly around ten or eleven thousand, and around 30% of them run their entire business on the platform. And then there's some premium tools that they can buy if they want to, mm -hmm. to help them with route optimization and stuff like that. So what happens if, if uh, it rains and do they have contact? Like does the supplier have the contact information for the person that booked the, the service just to call them or text them and say, Hey, it's raining. I'll come Tuesday instead. Or how, how does like rebooking and that type of thing work? Yeah, we build the software tools to make those things happen smoother. So if it rains, it's the service provider's job to go on to their, their dashboard and just push the reschedule to the next day. That way mm -hmm. the homeowner's in the loop, they know, and then it's it's all populated on their dashboard and they know how many lawns they have to do and it's all taken care of and what they got to do on a daily basis. If there's a service quality issue, we, uh, we want the service provider and the homeowner to work that out directly. We're not in the landscaping business. We're yeah. not, we're not the lawn mowing service. We're not, we're not the, uh, we don't, these people aren't our contractors. They're not our employees. Right. We make the whole thing run smoother through software in this marketplace. And we don't want to be in the business of, okay, he didn't blow off the back patio. Hold on. Let, let me, let me call Joe's lawn service. Hey, Joe, uh, Mrs. Smith out there. And, sure. Uh, he said, you didn't blow off the back patio again. And, uh, I know, I know. It's been four times in the lab. I know. I, she's very unreasonable. I know. Like we didn't want, we didn't want to be in that business. <laughs> but do you let the you let the suppliers know though when when you do have those types of right. customer complaints? Just say here, we, this feedback we got. You know, we're just letting you know. And that's in right. The, well, inside of the dashboard for the homeowner, they can push push a button and, and it automatically texts the server provider, and so oh, then they communicate yeah. directly. But if if like, hey, if you're not happy, you can push a button and get quotes again. And then we have a little pop-up that captures, okay, well, why are you getting quotes again? Well, he flaked on me or yep. he didn't, you know, he just doesn't do a good job or he, uh, he increased his price and I didn't like it. And so we collect that data and then we make better decisions about who we surface to, to consumers and who we de downgrade or even demote and expel out of the platform, which pre pre protects a consistent, uh, nice, convenient right. experience for homeowners. Yeah, I'm mean, that you you see you're so good you're preempting my questions now you're answering before I ask because I was going to say you know do you do you you know this guy keeps getting two star reviews or whatever you're going to go sorry you can't play anymore you know absolutely in fact uh, we are constantly flushing out the bottom ten percent mm. it's kind of like uh, I read a book uh, Jack Welch uh, how he built GE. and that's what they did the the bottom ten percent of their twenty thousand hundred thousand employees they they flushed out every year. And so it's not that these people are employees, but if you're at the bottom 10% of 20,000 service providers, you're just not good. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not, maybe you shouldn't be in business for yourself. You're not really giving it your all. This isn't that hard. I mean, yeah, business, long business is hard. All business is hard, but like just show up. And yeah. uh, if you're not willing to do that, then, then you're not, you're not suited to be a, 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 a user of this platform. So what's your, what's your vision for the next, say, three to five years? What, what do you want this to be? You know, we, we've come a long, long, long way and it's easy to look back and like, Oh shoot, we got several hundred thousand people using this thing. Remember when we were passing out door flyers and <laughs> Remember like we had wanna, six, do you want to, yeah, we had, we had, we had, and we ooh, knew we had, all of them. <laughs> ooh, we had three people sign up today. Like that, that was literally, literally how, how it was going. Um, so you, you know, you want to look back like, wow, look how far we come, but I, it, I can promise you it never feels that way. You mm. all, it always feels like day one, because the bigger, 
like the bigger your circle of like uh, influence gets, like the bigger it is, then you see how much further there is to go. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.